Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers! Well, 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 look who is back I'm from Bentonville and Cannes and the moon. She's been everywhere. Alicia Malone is back and just in time to discuss a filmmaker who really did have us at hello. A <laughs> filmmaker who completes us because the human head weighs eight pounds. Cameron Crowe. Yes. So excited because we're doing this just in time for the release of his new movie, Aloha. Mm -hmm. with Bradley Cooper and Emma Stone and Bill Murray. Interesting cast there. But it just makes you think just about how much we love Cameron Crowe's movies. But what is it about Cameron Crowe's movies that you love so much? Well, I think I love him even more as a writer than as a visual director. But he's created some memorable moments in film. A lot of quotable lines, which you said a couple before. <laughs> and then some iconic shots as well, like the boom box from Say Anything. And of course, he's known for his use of music in movies. His soundtracks are always the best. Soundtracks are the best, but... Really, I know that we always discuss this when we talk about the great directors, but his movies are second to none in terms of when it comes to characters with deep feeling and genuine emotion. Mm. And there's so much heart to his movies. And like you said, I, I agree with you. I, I think that his, his dialogue is so great and you know you're watching rewatching all these movies that we had to watch for the show yeah. and you're just going like wow where does he come up with this stuff i know and he had this whole career before he even started in movies being a rock journalist when he was a teenager he's a really interesting guy and i learned so much about him doing the research for these profiles and i love how his films have these characters who are usually trying to overcome great obstacles right. and then they have these mm. great characters that you just want to hang out with well, a lot of his characters, uh, they sort of f fall down and have to pick themselves back up again. I mean, yeah. obviously, Jerry Maguire, but even Elizabeth Town. I know that happens in Aloha to Bradley Cooper's character. But, uh, but there's something about rooting for the underdog and about <laughs> watching people earn their way back after they've fallen. But again, uh, another thing I noticed is that he really takes his time between movies. Uh, we Bought a Zoo came out in 2011, mm. and then Elizabethtown, 2005. The shortest break he ever had between movies was uh, between Almost Famous in 2000 and Vanilla Sky in 2001. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, like what a, an interesting career that he went from being a rock journalist for all these magazines, including Rolling Stone, at 15 years so old. Cool. Yeah. I mean, obviously all that was documented. <laughs> and almost famous uh -huh. but then he became a, an oscar winning filmmaker i know it's it's incredible because you think he would go more into the music side of things but his writing i guess always shines through so let's learn a little bit more about him in our segment called it's, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful life. life roll the video cameron bruce crow was born on july 13 1957 in palm springs california Soon after his family relocated to San Diego, Crow started writing music reviews and articles for national rock magazines like Cream and Circus. He hit the big time in the early 70s, when at the age of 15, he became the youngest ever contributor to Rolling Stone magazine, where he interviewed rock music titans like Bob Dylan, David Bowie, The Eagles, and Led Zeppelin. His first crack at the film business came in 1982 when the book he wrote while posing as an undercover student was turned into the hit film Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Seven years later, he made his directorial debut with Say Anything, which was soon followed by singles, Jerry Maguire, and Almost Famous, the latter of which he won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. 
I am a golden god. <laughs> you I'm are a, a golden god. <laughs> I'm a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, profilers, how great it is to have Alicia back <laughs> in the driver's seat. I mean, I was I like, just, how do I do this again? I just Where that, that deserves everything? a high five. Yeah. She's back. Yes. And I'm watching all the comments, uh, people talking about their favorite Cameron Crowe movies. And full disclosure, I never actually realized that he wrote Fast Times at Richmond High before I did this episode. And I have never seen that movie. Oh my I know. God. Even though I know the iconic scenes, like the, the red swimsuit, you know, Phoebe uh, Cates and Phoebe all that Cates stuff. and, wait, you forgot Spicoli. Yes, Spicoli. That is I've never actually watched it. Perfect segue, Alicia, into our first blood. Was that your first blood? My first blood was Fast Times of Richmond High. Yeah. Like you said, movie he didn't direct, but he wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Fast Times of Richmond High it came out in 1981. He wrote this book while posing as an undercover student. So the following year, 1982, the movie was directed by Amy Heckerling, who did Clueless. Yep. And uh, listen, I was okay, 13 years old when I saw this movie, a freshman in high school, and this movie comes out, and it just hits the nail on the head. There are so many iconic moments. Yes, the Phoebe Cates uh, bathing suit <laughs> yeah. is one of them. When you're 13, you're when like, you're 13, what? like, woohoo! Wow. But also, let's Spicoli, Sean Penn, and I had no idea that that was nothing like who this guy really was because Spicoli is such a great character. Hey, bud, let's party. <laughs> I mean, you, you know the lines. I do. I Be- feel like I've seen it, even though I haven't seen the whole thing. Well, what is your first blood for Cameron Crowe? My first blood would have been Say Anything. I remember seeing that in the 90s. I had heard a lot about the, the boombox moment before I actually saw the film, and I, I loved that movie, and I still love it, Rewatching it again over the weekend. But the, the first movie that I actually realized who Cameron Crowe was wasn't until Almost Famous and then and that was when I was like oh my gosh that's the guy that has the I think because he doesn't have such a distinct visual style between all his movies you can't tell his movies just by looking at them it's when you dig deeper yeah into the dialogue and the music so I think Almost Famous was the first time that I realized who he was and then connected all the dots but Say Anything would have been the first one so when you saw Say Anything did you watch it at the cinema no or on VHS on VHS with friends well okay during a sleep over or something. I was going to save this for our last detail. Okay. But since you saw it on VHS, yeah. I'm sure maybe you remember, maybe you don't. You probably saw a short, a short film, an early short film of The Simpsons on that VHS. No, I don't on remember. Australian VHS copies of the movie because uh, James Brooks created The Simpsons. Yeah. And he produced Say Anything. He put an early Simpsons cartoon on VHS copies in Australia. I didn't know that. For uh, Say Anything. It's like a little lead in. Yeah, right? How funny. How funny is that? And meanwhile, Simpsons has been on ever since. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's done very well. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, with Fast Times and then Say Anything, I mean, his movies are, they're just full of so much feeling and Mm -hmm. Say Anything. We'll, 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 We'll get to that. Well, let's get into our Fast Five at number five is the little things there's nothing bigger is there nothing oh, bigger than the little things nothing bigger than vanilla sky vanilla sky this is an interesting one an interesting <laughs> movie okay released december 14th 2001 yep one oscar nomination best original song <laughs> vanilla sky who is it say it say it what? Paul McCartney! Oh, I didn't even know that. There you go. Come on, give it up for okay. Paul McCartney. You have to bring in the Beatles somehow. Absolutely! <laughs> and that's the first of many times during oh, this God. broadcast we're going to talk about the Beatles. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, this is a remake of the 1997 movie Abre Los Ojos, uh, mm-hmm. directed by Alejandro Amenabar. means open your eyes. Penelope Cruz played the same character in both films. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was better in the original uh, because she was speaking her native language. Yep. Uh, I thought her performance stumbled a little bit, but I still like this movie a lot. Yeah. Vanilla Sky is a love it or hate it movie. Where do you stand? More on the hate it side. Why? Why? And I rewatched it again going, come on, get into it, get into it. I think it just feels really uneven. I appreciate that Cameron Crowe was trying something completely different. This is a departure for him. It's surreal. It's got sci-fi and horror. It's much darker than his other films. And it's an experimentation. I like that. But for me... 
I think, you know, his strongest point, Cameron Crowe, usually in his movies, is his writing and his dialogue. And that's actually probably the weakest part of this movie. And it's so disjointed. <laughs> it's all over the place. Uh, I'm, I'm all for surreal. I'm all for, for weird, dreamlike states. But it just doesn't gel properly for me. Here's the thing about Vanilla Sky that did it for me. Yes, you're right. I agree with you. It is uneven. It is far out, especially at the end. There's so much exposition when... Uh, yeah. when you have to explain everything. You have to explain everything. <laughs> but if you go with it, then then there's really something there. You have to go with this movie. And I really did. I guess I just didn't even buy the the love between, you know, with Sophia. Like, I didn't buy that love story that was enough to destroy him. But there were so many he's things... he's such a ladies' man. And about, he got right. in the car so easily. And well, right, he you definitely I mean? did. And Cameron Diaz was great in this movie. Yeah, I mean, she was nominated for a Golden Globe. Yeah, she was good as for crazy. playing the psycho bitch from hell. Yeah, and Tom Cruise <laughs> plays an unlikable character. He's so vain, so full of himself, more than a lot of the other characters he's played, like in Top Gun or or even Jerry Maguire for a little bit. But to see him like totally stripped, literally, of his looks, mm-hmm. and it's such a soul-bearing, gut-wrenching performance, it was really, really hard to watch. Yeah. But that's what gave the movie a lot of its power. I thought, I actually thought the movie was very profound. Um, it is definitely the most challenging film and ambitious film the Camera Crow ever made. Uh, it's open to interpretation, like this whole thing with the lucid dream. Yep. Okay, where did the lucid dream begin? Like, some people think the whole movie is a lucid dream, like from start to finish. Some people think it's that the lucid dream starts after the car accident. Mm-hmm. I think it starts after he wakes up in the street. Yep. Remember Later when she, on. Yeah, when she wakes him up, says, open your eyes. Yeah, because then that, from then on, it does seem quite surreal. There's yeah. the, the Bob Dylan cover and, and all those. I like those little touches that Cameron Crowe brought to it. But yeah. I don't know. A lot of critics didn't like it. Uh, it was probably his first critical disappointment. And it came off the back of his most popular movie, Jerry Maguire. But it still made over $100 million. It's the second highest grossing movie from Cameron Crowe so far. And uh, it, as uh, David DeSoa says on YouTube live chat, he says, you know, I've not seen it. I may have to fix that because I'm always intrigued by films that split an audience. Me too. I, I like when there's some discourse about it movies. It does split an audience. Movie cost $68 million to make, made $100 million domestically, $203 million worldwide. And it is a freaky film. I reviewed the movie back in December of 2001. I called, I said, the sky is the limit. <laughs> the themes of obsession, karma, and fate that underscored Eyes Wide Shut are featured more prominently in Vanilla Sky, while guessing what's a dream and what's reality brings to mind several surreal movies like Jacob's Ladder, Lost Highway, and even Total Recall. Depending on what mood you're in, Alicia Malone, <laughs> yeah. Vanilla Sky is either a frustrating cinematic experience yeah. or a rewarding one. It's a love it or hate it movie that will mean different things to dis- different people, but just sit back, relax, put your mind to it, and open your eyes. Open your eyes. And let's see what our profiles have Uh-oh. to say about Vanilla go. Sky. Oh, oh no, no love! No, no love cares. for Vanilla Sky. Yeah. Oh, another interesting beetle fact tom cruise's character in the movie david ames he lived in the dakota which is where john lennon lived oh there you go so there is you it going to be a fact about every oh well well one more beetle fact one more beetle fact is that when describing the uh the interpretation of the movie how you know different people are seeing different things in it mm-hmm. he likened it camera crow likened it to the paul is dead hoax back in 1969 right when people thought paul mccartney was really dead i love that he brought it back to the beatles <laughs> Definitely. It's your jam. But the, you got to admit, the scene in Times Square in the beginning of the film. Oh, yeah. It's freaky. That was cool. That's freaky to see no people at all. In Times Square. And I like how there was, uh, was it 12 Angry Men that was yep. playing on the, the big screen? And so was uh, and an episode Sabrina, of The Twilight Zone. Yeah. And then Sabrina at the start, the and original. They shot that scene on Sunday, November 12th, 2000. And they had, they had six hours to get their shot. And they did. I, I, I listen... I haven't seen that movie in a long time, and I was wondering, because I know I gave it 
I cut it some slack because I like Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. and I was wondering how it would hold up, you know, you 13 years it. later. And I was like, whoa, this movie is That's really, good. really far out. There you go. Well, it did that one of those scenes make your right stuff? Uh, one of those scenes did not make my right stuff, but what made yours? Mine sounds obvious, but I just love it, and it makes me smile every single time I see it. It is the Tiny Dancer moment from Almost Famous. I love how this song changes the mood of the movie because it starts out there on the bus there. They're sitting in silence. They've had big fights. You think the band might break up. And then they all start singing along to Elton John's Tiny Dancer. And uh, William is on the bus and he is an outsider. He's kind of wondering what is going on with these crazy people. Yeah. And then Penny Lane has that great line of like, you are home. You are home. And then you see him start to to relax and, and realize that he's meant to be there. And that all happens in the space of that song. And that's such just a great musical moment. It is. I love it. Definitely. Hold the closer, kind of dancer. Not Tony Danza. Like Not Tony Dancer. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? What Excuse was yours? Mine was from Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Uh, the scene after Tom Cruise gets fired. After uh, and he's freaking out. After the whole show me Later. the money thing. Oh. Yes, the scene where he's, you know, I'm not gonna, he walks out with his box, some of his <laughs> yeah. belongings. Who's and, going with me? And, and yes, that's the scene, right? And he's like, don't worry. I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do, which is flip out. Yeah. You know, I love seeing Tom Cruise flip out. I know, it's but, great. But uh, just that, that moment of vulnerability where he's like, who's coming with me? Besides, flipper here. And then <laughs> Renee Zellweger gets up and she goes, I will go with you. And he goes, Dorothy Boyd. And he's like so excited finally. And he just walks out. And then everybody goes back to doing their job. Yeah, I like how there's silence <laughs> and then it all just resumes. It all Everyone's resumes. Like, oh, whatever. Absolutely. Well, uh, I already told you one cool detail, one cool bit of trivia. Yep. Which was very cool that you didn't know that, actually. Yeah, there's so many great Cameron Crowe bits of trivia that I discovered. But one that I really <clears> liked, and you, you'll be able to guess why, is because uh, I found out that Cameron Crowe and Billy Wilder were good friends. Oh, he wrote a book about the director. Billy Wilder. Yeah, so in 1999, he wrote Conversations with Wilder, and then the two became great friends. One of Cameron's sons is named Billy after him. Oh, wow. And they cool. remained close until Billy Wilder's death. Well, did you know that, speaking of Vanilla Sky, it came out three months after 9 11. And the end of the film, when he's on the roof of that building, mm-hmm. you see the Twin Towers behind him. So the studio wanted to remove the shots of the Twin Towers. Cameron Crowe said no, he didn't want to do that uh, because some other movies that were coming around, coming out at that time, did. Like uh, Zoolander had a shot at Twin Towers, and oh, that was right. removed. Um, but uh, Cameron Crowe left it in, and I thought that was actually a good move because obviously 9/11 was just so fresh on everybody's mind. And you know, when you get to the end of that film, where he's yeah over, over explaining everything, but it's so there's so much thoughtfulness to the scene, and you're in a dream. Hmm. So this is the New York that David Ames, Tom Cruise's He's character, dreaming about. was dreaming about. With the vanilla sky. With the vanilla sky. From exactly. Monet. Yes. <laughs> well, did you know <clears throat> that in Almost Famous, Penny Lane, you know, when she asks William whether he wants to go to Morocco uh, with her, and, and he says, yes. And then she's like, are you sure? And he said, yeah, ask me again. Apparently, that was Patrick Fugit just asking for the line again because oh. he didn't think he delivered his yes properly. But Cameron Crowe liked that moment, so he kept it in. Oh, that's that very cool. Moment. That is yes. very cool. Ask me again. Ask me again. Well, speaking of Almost Famous, the original title for that movie... Untitled. Was Untitled. I know that one. <laughs> yes. Good. Uh, that gets a high five. Jim Rex is like, nope. But when the special edition DVD came out, the special edition DVD was called Untitled, mm. Almost Famous. And it's got extra footage. I've never seen that cut of it. Apparently, it's it's even better than the original. Oh. Because it's extra. Extra stuff. That was not the version that I watched. No. Darn. Darn. So we'll watch that, and you'll watch Fast Times of Ridgemont High. Yes. Well, one more bit of trivia. Did you know, well, at least Cameron Crowe is claiming that Singles was the inspi- was the inspiration. For Friends. For Friends. Yes. You are on fire with this trivia, Alicia And that leads us nicely into our Fast Five number four, which is... 
bless you. <laughs> Singles. Bless you. Singles. <laughs> September 18th, 1992. Cost $9 million to make. Box office, $18.5 million domestic. Talk about a movie that captured a moment in time. This was the Seattle grunge scene of 1992. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, the movie was finished in early of 1991. And they held it. They held it. Because it really did capture that moment. And that was when Nirvana was going into mainstream. So the grunge culture. Seattle music scene was really hot so Warner Brothers were like we'll wait and and then release the film later on but I think they released it just a little too late yeah, they did. Because uh, it didn't do so well at the box office, but the soundtrack was soundtrack a bestseller three months before the movie came out. Well, the soundtrack <laughs> had Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, yeah. uh, Alice in Chains, uh, uh, what's his name from uh, The Replacements? I have no idea. Uh, Peter, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Somebody on on the face on uh, Twitter yeah. or YouTube, uh, Paul Westerberg, Westerfield. I don't know, whatever I'm his not name good is. With my music. Not good, not good with that right now. But uh, yes, yeah, so with the timing was perfect, and it, you know, just like Fast Times of Richmond High, like came out like just at the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, for my generation, so did Singles. I was 23. I just moved to LA the year before, living in an apartment with a bunch of other single people, <laughs> and I was like. Oh wow! This is this is it. This is what it's life is like. You know, we're all just like working bum jobs, just trying to make a living and trying to like meet the one. Yeah, you know, which love at twenty three, love is complicated. I know. Even rewatching it now, I'm like, oh, I can relate to certain aspects of it. Even though it does it does feel like a time capsule of that early nineties moment. It's a very nineties movie. Yeah, and it feels a bit like a sitcom. So it's interesting that it was kind of an inspiration for Friends. They wanted to turn singles into a TV. TV show and Cameron Crowe said no so then that project morphed and then it became Friends it feels like uh, different episodes and some storylines are yeah, stronger right. than the others definitely but I love all the cameos so it's got oh, Pearl Jam members before they were famous right and then did you notice Tim Burton uh, I did notice Tim Burton did you notice Paul Giamatti yeah Paul, Paul Giamatti. Giamatti he's making out in he's the making restaurant out and he's one line in the film uh, what? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. He's like making. I look up. He says, "What? What? Paul Giamatti and I just seen like I just seen San Andreas and Love It, Love and Mercy, <laughs> both of which Paul Paul Giamatti. I'm like, oh my god, that's Paul Giamatti. <laughs> um, but Entertainment Weekly said uh, in their review back in 1992 with an ambling naturalistic style. Cameron Crowe captures the eccentric appeal of a town where espresso carts sprout on every corner yes. and kids in ratty flannel shirts can cut records that make them millionaires. Well, Mike Leamy on YouTube says, Paul Westerberg. Paul Westerberg. Thank That's you. That's the name. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. But I like this movie a lot. It's, it's a, you know, it's it's a sweet movie. Yeah. It's pleasant. It's uh-huh. fine. It's entertaining to watch. I don't think it's strong as some of his other movies. Mm-mm. I actually like Vanilla Sky more than this film. But because of the love it or hate it aspect, I put singles ahead of it, you know. Yeah. Because I had a feeling you would like singles more. Good choice. Well, Rachel Cushing wrote in about singles. She says, Cameron Crowe's 1992 film is one of those generation-defining films that is all about character and voice. His genius, aside from his sublime and memorable dialogue, is that the film is both of its time and timeless. Crowe imbues all of his characters with real-world quirks and struggles that are conveyed in a rambling, inner monologues, and direct conversations with the camera. Yeah, they break the fourth wall, i.e. the audience. His sense of romantic idealism is never lost, but I truly relate to the doubts, dreams, insecurities, expectations, and screw-ups of Linda, Steve, Janet, Debbie, and Cliff. All these characters have a point of view that transcends the film and speaks to anyone looking for their Miss or Mr. Right, rather than their Miss or Mr. Maybe. Rachel Kishing, killing it with the reviews. She's so talented. Always really good. Always really good. Well... We should take this moment to take care of some business here. Okay, if you are watching or listening to profiles right now, please do us a huge, huge, huge favor. Go to iTunes and subscribe to Profiles, and more importantly, rate and review us on Profiles. Mm-hmm. We need these ratings and reviews to survive. They are really what sustain us. So please rate us, review us, tell us what you really think, especially if it's good. <laughs> please go to iTunes and then go to YouTube.com backslash Popcorn Talk Network. You got it. And subscribe. Yeah, we're really Finally. trying to get this show out there because we work so hard on it. We think it's a great show. It 
deserves more views and more love. So we're figuring out how to do that. But make sure you tell all your friends about it. Uh, share the YouTube link or if you prefer to listen to us, then make sure you share the iTunes. You can also keep up with us on our Facebook page, Profiles with, with Malone, Malone and Matt. They, uh, we do a lot of fun bra- brackets and, and some trivia on there. And occasionally we do Q&As. So it's, it's a great community. And whenever, you know, we just read a comment from Rachel Cushing about singles, those comments come from our Facebook page. Yeah. So whenever we announce who our next filmmaker right. is going to be, we always want we want profilers, people who like our Facebook page, to chime in and tell us what they like the most about these movies. So we pick those and then we read them out. Well, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Alicia Malone, <laughs> at Movie Mance, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. One more time, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mance. And again, just like Alicia said, please share profiles with everyone. We really want to get the word out there. We really believe in our show. Yes. And we know you love it too. And we just want to keep this going. We do work hard on it, but it's a labor of love. So please help us spread the word about profiles. And exactly. go to our Facebook page. Profiles with Melana Mance. We do Moving on. free in our spare time because we're that crazy we about movies. We love it that much. <laughs> we love it that much. All right. Well, that brings us to Quiz Show, which is a segment that I don't like so much. Okay. So, this um, is time for Quiz Show. You hit me up. Okay. Well, this one I think will be like a bit of a guess for you, but it was the only thing I could come up with. So before Bradley Cooper and Emma Stone were cast in Aloha, he, there was supposed to be two other actors older than those two. Who do you think that was supposed to be? It's a bit of a guess. Uh, was it A? Give me your options. <laughs> Not that hard. A, James Franco and Kate Hudson. B, Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks. Or C, Ben Stiller and Reese Witherspoon. Who do you think? Just a uh, guess. Ben Stiller and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah! Yes! Well, wait to go! It's supposed to be those two, but it took a while to do so, and they decided to cast younger and go with Bradley and Emma. Okay, hit me okay, with it. Okay, I'm hitting you up with one. In Almost Famous. Yep. This is the ultimate band-aid right here, Alicia Malone. Uh, in Almost Famous. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> in Band-Aids Almost Famous. Yeah. What is Penny Lane's real name? Oh. Is it A, Emily? Is it B, Lady? Is it C, Jennifer? Is it D, Susan? Lady. Lady it is! Way to go! Because then they were calling her Emily the Doctor, right? The the fake name. Right, Emily, yeah. Because I was like, oh, her name's Emily. And then she goes, no, it's Lady. It's Lady. Yes. Lady. Wow, we both got it. Yes! We're on fire with our quiz show. Well, you know what? That's a good little warm-up for... The ultimate showdown that's coming soon. Oh, sheesh! Yes, we've got team, team profiles. profiles. We are going to kill it, We're especially kill it after for the really third sick. time. <laughs> third time she wins Screen Junkies movie fights. Yeah, I'm better at debating than coming up with trivia, but, but that's okay. Together, together, you and me. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna beat him. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to think they're, of a great entrance. We're going to have a it's going to be fantastic. Great entrance. <laughs> And they're going to give us one of the categories will be movie release dates. Oh, and that'd be great. Oh, my God. I if reckon they're happens... not even going to put it in there just for you because they know that no one can beat you. Oh, come on. But you're good with trivia. So I wouldn't do the down again if it was just by myself because last time was a horrible experience. We got but this. we got this. We got this. We're we going to kill it. We got this down on the down. Yeah. But coming in at number three in our Fast Five is... Give me a pen. I gave her my heart. She gave, gave me, me a, a pen. pen. Say anything. Released April 14th, 1989. Cameron Crowe's directorial debut after Lawrence Kasdan was going to direct and dropped out. Uh, another great teen comedy after Fast Times of Richmond High. Mm-hmm. Uh, intimate, heartfelt, mature. It's an insightful movie. It is a genuine film. Because like, you just really believe these characters are fully realized. I mean, the, the depiction of a love that is so strong that it, that it hurts. Yeah. yeah. It's so 
so many great moments in this movie. Yeah, it's, I think it's really underrated. It's probably one of the best high school romantic movies out there because it doesn't go where you think it will. Right. You you think you, you know these characters, that they're stereotypes and that you know how it's going to end, but you don't. You don't. You don't know. It takes, it takes turns. And I love both of these characters. John Cusack, he's always so great at just adding something unexpected yeah. to his characters. And <clears throat> Lloyd Dobler, I mean, you just feel for him. He's so lovable. He's, he's optimistic. I love his attitude. I love his relationship with his sister, played yeah. by his real-life sister, Joan, Joan Cusack. Cusack. And then Ione Skye, who for some reason didn't become a huge star after this, which she should have. She should have. She you know, plays this great smart girl and socially awkward you know loves her dad she's really sweet too and john mahoney who plays her father it has it definitely does it also like you said it goes places where you don't expect it to go Mm. never would have expected that twist with her father to turn out the way it did no not revealing anything (laughs) yeah but it 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 gives the film a lot of depth Mm -hmm. it makes it a little bit dark because everything is not okay I mean, it is and it isn't. Yeah. I mean, it still has a very, very apropos ending. Yeah. I love the ending. And I love Lily Taylor. You know, she sang 65 songs about Joe. Joe Joe lies. And I like how Joe comes in and he's just like, yeah, I love you. He he seems like an idiot. Joe. Well, I was reading that after Fast Times at Richmond High, uh, Crow wrote The Wildlife, which is supposed to be a semi-sequel to it. Right. And that's what James L. Brooks saw. Or, or read or, or heard about and he found out who Cameron Crowe was and then decided to executive produce this film which gave him his first directorial debut and I know we love uh, Ebert quotes I'm probably going to steal this from you take it away but Roger Ebert said that this is a film that's really about something that cares deeply about the issues it contains you've got it written down too yep <laughs> and yet also works wonderfully as a funny warm hearted romantic comedy that's right it's funny there's some really funny moments there are some funny moments and there there's an, one truly iconic moment yeah. with the boombox. The boombox. And, and that's been copied Lloyd Dobler, over and over again. And it will be again today. Yeah, uh, we're going to do a photo like that. We're going to do a photo like <laughs> that. But when he's holding up the boombox and it's playing In Your Eyes, the song that they made love to for the first time. Yeah. I mean, that In is like eyes. the equivalent of standing outside the window of, of a woman just saying, you know, I love you. I mean, it was so unique and so wonderful. And, and whenever I hear In Your Eyes, that's what I think about. Uh, and I was I was saying before, instead of the boombox now, it would just be like someone holding up an iPhone. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Can you hear it? Do you want me to turn it up? <laughs> yeah, right. They'd be holding up their iPhone. But interestingly, Robert Downey Jr. turned down the role of Lloyd Dobler. Uh, Christian Slater also auditioned and also considered for the role of Diane Elizabeth Shue. And keeping in mind, this was 1989, Julia Roberts. Well, Tyler Myers on YouTube live chat says, John Cusack and Ioni Sky have such amazing chemistry. Not only one of the best teen movies ever made, but one of the best romance movies ever made. It absolutely is. Yeah. And I just love the end. Yes. And I just, here's this guy, Lloyd Dobler. He just wants to take care of, of I know, this he's girl. so sweet. He's so sweet. And Christian Lawtons says, Say Anything is my favorite Cameron Crowe movie and one of my favorite romantic comedies. It's one of the few coming-of-age movies with real characters, real dialogue, and a real relationship. All that credit goes to Crowe's impeccable writing and directing. Say Anything demonstrates Crowe's ability to write hilarious dialogue while balancing heartfelt moments between Lloyd, Diane, and James. The movie is completely honest, straightforward, and doesn't dumb down the story for its audience. It perfectly portrays the emotion and energy of a young relationship well joshua price who's watching live right now yay josh he says say anything perfectly demonstrates cameron crowe's brilliance as a writer and director by showing his genuine care and passion for the human emotions involved it depends on these qualities to not only embody the free spirit of youth but to reflect upon the future and what is to come for the wide-eyed hopefuls the heartwarming moments are only made sweeter by its decision to never stray from reality and as a result it can also demonstrate the sometimes painful intensity of youth and the honest emotional connections Crow establishes only to make it feel more truthful. It does feel very true, very true to like first love, awkwardness. Absolutely, absolutely. 
But listen, Cameron Crowe doesn't make a lot of movies. Yeah. But there were a few seven, that didn't make right? seven, seven features. Yeah. Uh, uh, so where do you stand on Elizabethtown? Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It just feels it's it's sentimental and, and in a way that he's not usually with his movies. Right. So It has its moments, but it I does. think that that's a movie that's uneven. And I know some people out there really like it. Yeah, I mean it's as far as the his his the reviews go, it's his worst reviewed movie. But I still found stuff to like about it. I mean, you know, the Cameron Crow magic is there and fits and starts. Uh the biggest problem I had, honestly, Orlando Bloom, he just Yeah, was I think it was miscast. Bland. Yeah. You know, uh but then there's We Bought a Zoo, came out in two thousand one. Which I didn't mind. Yeah. Didn't mind. I think it it was marketed in a very different way to what it actually was like. like. When you saw the posters, you just thought it was gonna be this cute kind of animal movie, but it had more emotional depth to it. Than yeah. That. Matt Damon was very good in the film. Entertaining. And I think it's a feel good crowd pleaser. A little sappy and a little bit of slapstick. A yeah. little yeah, whereas it's hard to sleeve a little too much. But I think the only problem I really have with We Bought a Zoo is that it didn't feel like a Cameron Crowe movie. Mm-hmm. It's a good film, but it didn't feel like... When I think of Cameron Crowe, I think of, you know, almost famous, uh, John McGuire, Say Anything. You know, there are, there are moments, there is magic to those films that I thought this was lacking. And then there's Pearl Jam 20. Yeah, I haven't seen that. The documentary. And uh, to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. And for someone so... For a filmmaker so steeped in music... I am surprised he does not direct more documentaries about music. I mean, look at Scorsese. Yeah. You know, he did The Band, the George Harrison, The Rolling Stones, uh-huh. Bob Dylan. I mean, this is all like Cameron Crowe's territory. Yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But uh, how how we do on the brackets this week? Oh, the brackets this week, uh, they're run by Rasika and their best musical moments, which is a great category great. for Cameron Crowe. So it came down <clears throat> to In Your Eyes from Say Anything yep. versus Everything in Its Right Place from Vanilla Sky. And then, so In Your Eyes won that bracket. Of course. <laughs> then it was the Free Fallen moment from Jerry Maguire. I love that. Versus yeah. Tiny Dancer from Almost Famous. Two great moments. Almost Famous won. So it came down to In Your Eyes versus Tiny Dancer. Who do you think won? It's got to be Tiny Dancer. It's Tiny Dancer. It's got to be Tiny Dancer. I agree with my right stuff. Although Thanks, In Your Eyes in your eyes is also really, really good. That should have been like a really close call. Um, I think it was. Because because both of those moments are just so great. Although yeah. Tom Cruise singing Free Falling. Because I'm free. I know. I love that moment. Free Falling. Sometimes I put that on in my car and I sing that as I'm driving. You sing it like Tom Cruise yeah. sings it. Yes, absolutely. It feels so empowering. Well, speaking of Tom Cruise coming in at number two in our Fast Five. Who's coming with me? <laughs> who's, who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? <laughs> I just Besides had to add the... flipper here. I had to add the... <clears throat> at the end, because I love that. Jerry Maguire. <laughs> Jerry Maguire came out December 13th, 1996. Thank you for not using Show Me the Money. Um, <laughs> five Oscar nominations. One win for supporting actor Cuba Gooding Jr. And what I remember about the Academy Awards that night, it was the first award given out. And Cuba Gooding Jr. was so excited. So excited. He was like, I love you. I, I love you. you. I lo-. It was such a great moment in Oscar history when he won. And that was like totally something that Rod Tidwell, his character, would have done. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was so in character with that movie. By far, Cameron Crowe's most successful film. It cost $50 million to make. Box office worldwide, $273.5 million. Mm-hmm. If Say Anything and Singles were were intimate films, this was his breakthrough all the way and the ultimate Tom Cruise performance. Oh, yeah. We spoke about this during our Tom Cruise profiles. He obviously did such a great thing, Cameron Crowe, by, by uh, matching up with such an A-list star in Tom Cruise, which then led to Cameron Crowe being an A-list director. This was the movie that definitely, definitely got him noticed by more than just a select group. Uh, and as you said, gave Tom Cruise one of his best roles. He complex roles, transformation, uh, also Renee Zellweger, Cuba Gooding Jr. I don't think either of, or Cuba Gooding, I don't think he's been as good since no. Jerry Maguire. But I think a lot of people 
forget about Jerry Maguire, the movie, and forget how good it actually is because it's so quoted it's and so it's quoted. so much in so much. pop culture that you yeah. actually forget that it has more depth to it than right. just these great <laughs> quotes. Yeah. Especially the relationship between <clears throat> the two of them. It's complex. You know, it's not easy. Nope. It doesn't go the way that you always think it's going to go. And then it has the the great line of you had me at hello and that seems cheesy in isolation but it works perfectly it works within. Perfectly, yeah. And once again this is Cameron Crowe just putting so much heart and emotion into the dialogue. Well, uh, like you said, I mean, there is so much great dialogue in this movie. Of course, the whole show me the money scene, the human head weighs eight pounds. This movie was written for Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks was supposed to play the lead role, but he was also in the middle of directing his very first movie, That Thing You Do. So he passed. But I mean, as good as Tom Hanks would have been in that role, no one was better than Tom Cruise. Yeah. And in uh, the Variety Review back in 1996 says, uh, scores an unexpected number of emotional, social, and entertaining points, smartly written, boasting a sensational cast, shrewdly observed, gives Tom Cruise one of his very best roles. And this was a script that Cameron Crowe spent three and a half years working on. Wow. I think he actually wrote it for a, a, an agent. Yeah, but like a he, Hollywood agent. Right, it was for a Hollywood right. agent, but then he changed it to... The sports stuff feels very real. It definitely does. And there's absolutely. a lot of cameos in there for people who like sport, not me. Not me either. Um, Tyler I'm with Mines. you on that. Give it up for a sports band here, Profiles. <laughs> Your Bamboo on um, YouTube says, I don't care about sports, but the business sports part was so interesting in that movie. <clears> I definitely agree. And Tyler Myers says, Jerry Maguire works as both a romantic comedy, a sports film, and an uplifting drama, one of Cruz's best performances. I think people, if they haven't seen it in a long time, they should rewatch definitely. the movie because it sucked me back in when I saw it again It is definitely, quite recently. It is definitely a movie that I think holds up very, very well. It's one of my favorite movies. And uh, uh, Tom Cruise's relationship with Renee Zellweger, their chemistry is so great mm-hmm. that I felt like she was one of the two best romantic leading ladies he ever had next to Rebecca De Mornay from Risky Business. Mm-hmm. I mean, their chemistry was so right on. They were perfectly matched. And his chemistry with Cuba Gooding Jr., I mean, that was another relationship he had <laughs> yeah. in the film. You know, that was all great, too. And uh, interestingly, also consider for the role of Jerry Maguire, uh, it's like a who's who, you have Alec Baldwin, Johnny Depp, Sean Penn, Bruce Willis and John Travolta. Wow. And consider for the role of Dorothy Boyd, you have uh, Winona Ryder. In fact, she was cast in the role, but when they were doing pre-production on the film and the two of them were standing next to each other, Cameron Crowe felt like they looked like brother and sister. <laughs> so she was recast. But also consider where... I know, can you imagine? Yeah. Uh, Patricia Arquette, Molly Ringwald, Uma Thurman, Nicole Kidman... And uh, Jennifer Lopez. But this is a... I, I love Jerry Maguire. And so does profiler Chris Day. Yay. He goes, I hate The Notebook and Titanic is okay. But <laughs> Jerry Maguire is the best romantic film ever. It's hilarious. And you feel the relationship between Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger. Plus, you got Cuba Gooding Jr. What's not to love about this film? Show me the money. Show me the money. Rasika points out that it hasn't been mentioned, but Jonathan Lipnicki was great in the movie as well. Yeah, he was. Young kid. Human head weighs pounds sometimes i mean it's hard to find a good child actor but he was so yeah, so he cute. Was good. He was cute well billy polahan also likes jerry Maguire. says jerry Maguire was the film that i least expected to like it had tom cruise acting like he was on the top of the world which he was both in the movie and in reality but jerry was just a down on his luck guy he has a heart of gold you see him overcoming many obstacles there are so many memorable moments show me the money and of course you had me at hello Cameron Crowe has made so many great movies and will continue to for a very long time. Hashtag film geek, hashtag profiler for life. P.S. Alicia, you had me at hello. Aww. Uh, P.P.S. <laughs> Scott, Beatles life, Beatles for life. Hashtag Beatles for life. <laughs> Way to go, Billy. Yes. Hooray! Hooray! Another Beatles reference. I told you they were going to be sprinkled throughout this show. I know. Well, you, you had a lot of fun while I was away. I did. Did you enjoy it? I did, but you know, I have to say, working on a profile show without you, just made me miss you more. Aww. Alicia Malone, to quote Camera Crow, you 
rock my world. Oh, thank Give you. Up. I was off the grid at the time, but I, I saw posts about the Beatles. I was like, what is happening? Why? Yeah, you know, Cats Away. It was fun, though. Beatles fans will play. And joining us right now in time for our number one movie, we are very excited to have calling into Profiles, Billy Crudup plays Russell Hammond in Almost Famous. Yay! Billy, thank you so much for calling into Profiles. You are on with Scott and Alicia. Hey, guys. No, it's my pleasure. Are you kidding me? Any chance I get to talk about being in this movie is uh, it's a good time. Oh, well, I love this movie so much. It's it's my favorite to date from Cameron Crowe. I just rewatched it on the weekend. Still get sucked in every time. Why do you think it holds up so well, even after 15 years, almost 15 years? It's a, a really great question, one that's equally uh, interesting to me because there's uh, a whole generation of uh, people who um, know me only from that who probably were maybe two or three years old when it came out. And it, it was difficult to get a lot of people to go and see it for whatever reason when it first came out. So it's had such uh, um, a big and long life uh, since it's been released. I think it ha- just has to do with the fact that we all have to move from adolescence to adulthood, mm. and it kind of sucks. And uh, <laughs> there's something sweet and nostalgic about the way that Cameron uh, tells that story and introduces, you know, all the awful complexities of being an adult, uh, much much less a successful adult. Um, and then uh, he does it through, you know, the uh, language of music. And almost everybody can relate to that as well. So he's also hilarious. And, yeah. uh, the movie is just unceasingly entertaining and he really he cares so much about the performances and the nuanced performances and his his writing um uh contributes to really some some beautiful work uh from people in this movie so i i i just i think it's such a great surprise that it's had the uh continued life that it has well, how did you come to be cast as Russell Hammond? And is it true that Russell was loosely based on Glenn Fry from the Eagles? <laughs> well, firstly, I got lucky as hell is how I got cast. Um, <laughs> I, um, actually, Brad Pitt was supposed to do the part before in another incarnation of, um, of the of the movie, but when he dropped out, that he just Cameron held a bunch of auditions, and uh, I think I had longish hair. Um, and that, that, that definitely helped. Um, but I hadn't played guitar before, so he and I spent most of the time in the audition, um, me trying to thumb through Smoke on the Water on the E string, so he could try to see if he could fake it with me. Um, but Cameron is, he's relentless about finding the people that are just right for certain parts. So he put me through the task over the course of a number of, of days, uh, working, 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 working different scenes to see if we were after the same thing. And I, man, like I say, I just got lucky. Sometimes you're in the right place at the right time, or somebody else who might have gotten the role has the cold and uh, they can't come in. And I, I count my, I count my blessings where that goes. Concerned. <laughs> well, obviously, this is a very personal film for Cameron Crowe. So, what was it like being there on set with him? Well. He is amongst the most like loving, charming, engaging, entertaining people to be around anyway. So that part of it is phenomenal for a creative collaboration. Um, it's not always that charming. It's not always that charming of an experience. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, he, the, 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 the sense that he had had been in and recorded mentally and you know physically for posterity through his writing these exact sequences uh in a way that was you know eloquent entertaining would just permeated every single day we would come in and there was inevitably somebody on set that day who had been there during that time and Cameron was having them back in to do a cameo um and or he was recreating exact the exact room that uh you know, they occupied in the riot house. There were so many aspects of that um, that it was totally charming. Uh, he, 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 you seemed, I was excited to be around him as he was around his former life. Wow. Um, and 
that uh, he, yeah, I, he was just like a great caretaker of all of it. Well, what kind of direction did he give, and was he was he like open to improvisation, and and uh, like how long into the filming of this movie did you all realize that you were onto something really special? Well, he 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 was. Um, when you look at the screenplays, the all of the nuance in the dialogue and the um, subtle changes in the power structures between characters as they're talking is there on the page. That's the way that he writes. That's the way that he thinks. His his storytelling is going to be told most likely through dialogue uh, and through interaction between actors um, as opposed to saying cinematic devices or you know moving cameras or um, innovative shots or something. Uh, his primary focus is in conveying the complexities and interest in human behavior. Um, so the, the way that he works uh, is really patiently. He wants to find out what gets each actor going like what is gonna what's your jam billy how how am i gonna take you into your sweet spot for this like he's really invested in trying to get the best out of each person so he takes a long time we there was one scene that we had out by a pool where i'm sort of explaining to um the william character who played by the awesome patrick fugit um about why i don't think he should write too um, uh, too much of an expose about the um, about the band, and it was a subtle point that uh, Cameron wanted to relay about the responsibility of um, the bandmates to each other and how that was difficult for some and others. And we he rewrote that, we reshot it at, at least three times over the course of five months. Wow! So <laughs> he, he he is so meticulous. Um, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I mean, I didn't... And in terms of improvisation, during the rehearsal process, we rehearsed for five weeks, too, which is very rare in films. I mean, I, nowadays, guys, I think if I get a single day of rehearsal, it feels like a total luxury. <laughs> but back then, he was like, this is what we have to do. This is the, uh, this is the only way to tell this story that's so important to me really well. So in addition to those rehearsals, then we would meet every night um, for, uh, for uh, band practice, uh, which was phenomenal because uh, Nancy Wilson and Peter Frampton were our rock gods. That's crazy, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we got to hang out with them uh, every night, uh, learning how to take the stage and, um, and you know, they were extremely patient with me um, as my musical skills uh, <laughs> are somewhat somewhat lacking in that area. Uh, and having having not played guitar before that, I don't know if you guys play guitar, but no. if you remember when you started, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, it is. It hurts. It hurts it's like hell. Really uncomfortable. Yep. Like certain to the coordination of it. So fucking. Pr- oh, excuse my language. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I hope you have a bleep button there. That's really okay. It's the internet. <laughs> but that's how. That's how frustrating it is. Yeah. It drives you out of your mind. So I spent so much of my time on that movie. Um, just and of course, my job wasn't just to be a guitarist. It was to be like the great guitarist. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so. It wasn't that I just had to kind of fake it a little bit. I had to look like I really, really, like it was in my body. That's what I knew how to do. That's the only thing I knew how to do. And uh, and that was a crazy hard task. So th- while the rock band rehearsals and being with Peter and Nancy was totally special, it was it was it not a, uh, a, an easy creative process. Well, one moment that I love in the movie, and I know a lot of people do as well, is the tiny dancer scene on the bus. What are your memories of shooting that scene? Well, that we all sang Tiny Dancer for about four years after that. (laughs) (laughs) True. It's possible to get it out of your head forever. Um, You know what's great about it being uh, such a, a special thing to do and a special moment and then a special moment in the movie is um, occasionally I'll walk into a store or something else and Tiny Dancer will be on <laughs> and it brings me back to that moment and a really 
unique and, and special way. And occasionally, somebody who has seen the movie, they might recognize me. <laughs> and if it's playing at the same time, then it's like the two of us are sharing a love affair. Uh, I want to be there for that. That's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> it's so sweet. Uh, and it, it was... It was really wonderful working on it. I mean, that most of my personal experience of it, Jason, um, Kate, Patrick, um, everybody else, Mark Koslick, they, they, they could all sing. They were musically inclined. Um, I was just loud. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I hadn't spent a lot of time just not being terribly uncomfortable Cameron kept laughing at me saying no man it's cool it's fine dude it really works just keep yelling it um and of course then they adjusted some of it in post thank god but, uh, <laughs> I yeah I had a great time doing that thing. well well when when Cameron Crowe won the Academy Award for his screenplay for Almost Famous man how that great was, was that so rad that was just because the person the, the reason the personal investment that he had in telling that story and the time that he took to communicate that to everybody who worked on the movie for however many years, everybody in the production office, everybody in post-production, everybody on the set, the cast and crew, he had everybody invested in like a fundamental part of his life and his upbringing. And so, and he did it with such generosity because it wasn't like he was, you know, dictatorial about oh you know this character this character has to do this and in fact when we started rehearsing Ru russell wasn't even fully written in the oh. uh, screenplay he just wasn't sure about how far he wanted to go with uh, his complexities so to get to kind of discover that together um was it's just a one-of-a-kind experience so to see him lauded uh in that way it's just like sometimes you feel the universe gets it right and that was what one night that i definitely felt that well we feel that right now <laughs> yeah. rock on rock on you're a golden god billy you are absolutely <laughs> a golden god and we're on drugs one for the road good i'm glad <laughs> one, one, one for the road. Hold the closer, time no, to dance. No, no, okay, do Billy, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for calling into Profiles. We appreciate it. This was just an amazing, amazing talk about Cameron Crowe's very best movie, Almost Famous, and we're grateful for your time. Thank you so much, and have a hey, great thank day. thank you guys so much for uh, looking me up. I appreciate it. I love talking about it. You got it. Have a great one. Thank you. Bye. All right, take care, guys. Bye-bye. Yes. Very cool. Russell. Rock on. Russell, Russell calls in just in time for our number one movie, Almost Famous. And our fast five is, we've got to play the clip. Oh, we still got to play the clip. I am a golden god. That's why I have to play it, because I just love. I'm on drugs. I love that scene. That's so great. There's so many great moments in this movie. September 13, 2000 is when it came out. Four Oscar nominations, one win for Cameron Crowe's screenplay. That must have been... So great for him to win that Oscar. For, it's about yeah, him. Yeah, it's a semi-autobiographical movie. I mean, it's him. About his time his as being a rock journalist. Movie, his most personal film, and especially because the movie cost about $60 million to make. And worldwide, worldwide box office was $47 million. It didn't so it did do not so well. do well. But the critics loved it. It made a lot of top 10 lists that year. Mm -hmm. And of course, the Oscars loved it. This is a charming, funny Deeply heartfelt film. There's a lot of magic to this movie. Almost famous. It's a special movie, isn't it? Yeah, and it feels like his masterpiece because it's based so closely on his life. And after the success of Jerry Maguire, he was allowed to make this passion project. And it is my favorite of his movies so far. Uh, I love the fact that he showed this to Billy Wilder. And Billy said, it's a wonderful picture. I love the kid and I love that girl. And then Cameron went and called up Kate Hudson and said, Billy Wilder said this. She apparently screamed so loud. He says he still can, can hear the scream in his ears because she oh, was so boy. excited. Kate, Blan um, Kate Blanchett, Kate Hudson yeah. is so special in this movie. Her breakthrough, breakthrough role is Penny was Penny Lane. Penny Lane, another right, Beatles reference for you. Right on. Yeah. And she was nominated for it, as was Frances McDormand. Yeah, as she's the mother brilliant. she is. 
hilarious. I mean, it's a coming of age story all about, you know, the first time you fall in love, uh, becoming a man, living away from your parents and coming Losing face your virginity. to <laughs> your virginity, coming face to face with death or the possibility of death and sadness and depression and drugs. Another Crazy one more stuff. Beatles reference for the road here. Rolling Stone, Peter Travers in his review back in 2000 says, not since a hard day's night. <laughs> Yay. Has a movie caught the thrummy exuberance of going where the music takes you. And did you know that those records in the movie actually belong to Cameron Crowe? That is not surprising. And the handwriting at the start. That was him. That's him. Yeah. That is very cool. That's very cool. Patrick Fugit, he grew three inches during the making of this movie. Over 92 days, he grew three inches. Wow. And his voice broke while... While he was making the movie. Can you imagine, like, of all the problems to have while making a movie? It's like, you're movie, growing up you're, too fast. Stop growing up! Like, stop uh, growing one up. point, uh, I, th- I thought it was Billy who actually had to wear, like, platform yeah, shoes that's right. so that so they would match. still look like the height. And, the, I mean, the cast is brilliant. You mentioned some of them. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, should have been nominated. Should have been nominated. He only did a couple of days on set for his small role, but he makes such an impact. Uh, he apparently had the flu the entire time, but you can't even tell because he's so brilliant well over 50 songs were used in this movie the budget for alone for music was 3.5 million usually the budget for music in a film is about 1.5 million and michael k longtime devoted profiler had this to say about almost famous being as passionate of a music fan as i am a film geek that's good almost famous just hits all the right notes for me it sits right alongside the classics in the subgenre of movies about music including this is spinal tap School of Rock and yes A Hard Day's Night Cameron Crowe throws everything he's got into this movie it's packed with great comedy a killer soundtrack and a big heart now every time I listen to Elton John's Tiny Dancer <laughs> I can't help but sing along because of that iconic Me scene too. Maggie Ozen says on YouTube I adore Almost Famous so much I plan on getting an It's All Happening tattoo <laughs> that's so cool and Camille Howard says Almost Famous makes me feel alive to use a cliche it's a story made for anyone who's ever felt like an outsider with a tremendous supporting cast inventive story and a wonderful atmosphere crow's semi-autobiographical <laughs> you know what i mean is a beautiful story of finding the people who make you feel at home if i ever need to pick me up this is the movie i turn to well that is an amazing show what a great interview with billy crew that was Isn't fantastic that cool? before we go just let's hit the business angles once again Do make it, sure Nance. you go to itunes really important subscribe to profiles rate and review us even if you've already done it rate and review us again these ratings and reviews are really what help us keep stay alive go to our youtube subscribe to it's youtube.com backslash popcorn talk network so you got can it. watch malone and nance make sure you share profiles with everyone and make sure you have them share too go to our Facebook page profiles with Malone and Mance join in on the fun weigh in on the brackets tell us what you love about these movies we will and do read your comments on the air follow us on Twitter at Alicia Malone <laughs> at Movie Mance at Alicia Malone. It's all in the repetition. At Movie Mance. One more time. <laughs> oh. At Alicia Malone. At Movie Mance. Yeah. It is so great to have Alicia Malone back with me because Alicia... You complete me. Oh, yes, sweet. Yes. High five. Here we go. Recounting our fast five. Number five, Vanilla Vanilla Sky. Sky. Number four, Singles. singles. Number three, Say Say Anything. Anything. Number two, Jerry Jerry Maguire. Maguire. Number one, Almost Famous. Famous. The book has been closed. The book has been closed. And we'll let you know on our Facebook page who we're going to tackle next. We've been chatting about some options. So many great people. We always enjoy when you guys suggest people. So keep that coming. Until next time. Bye. <laughs> From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 